Hey, I'm Michael Wood, lead pastor at First West. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here in just a second, we're gonna dive into God's word and to see what it says about who he is, about who we are, and about the hope that can be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that today God's word will encourage you, it'll challenge you, and it'll allow you to see that no matter where we find ourselves, there's always hope because of Jesus Christ. So let's dig in and see what God has for us today in his word. And so today in John chapter 6, we're actually going to see one of his ways and one of his words. In John 6, we see the miraculous feeding of the 5,000, and we're going to see the first of the seven I am statements that Jesus is going to say, I am the bread of life. We've got a lot of text to cover today, but as we read together uh, for our corporate reading time, we're going to read a portion that is the transitional portion but I think is the most helpful portion for us to understand all that is unfolding. So I want to invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. We're going to look at John chapter 6. We're going to read today John chapter 6, verse 32 through verse 35. The Word of the Lord says, Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, Sir, give us this bread always. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. Let's pray together. Lord, it's been so good to worship you in song today. To be reminded and to proclaim and to join in with the angels proclaiming, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with your glory. And God, to be reminded and to proclaim through song today, that you are the great I am. And Father, today as we go into John chapter 6, I pray that, that there will just be a continuation today of us recognizing you for exactly who you are, and that when we see you for who you are, Lord, that we will respond in worship, we will respond in surrender, Ultimately, we will respond in faith. And so, Spirit of God, would you speak to us now? In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. May God bless the reading of his word. So today is very unique in that um, we are looking at one of the most significant and well-known miracles of the Bible, and we're not going to spend a significant amount of time in it. And the reason is, is because in John's gospel, he is actually going to give more time to the conversation after the miracle than the miracle itself. One of the things that's fascinating, if you love Bible trivia, you can uh, note this down and remember it. Um, the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle outside of the resurrection of Jesus that is recorded in all four of the gospels. It's recorded in Matthew, in Mark, in Luke, and in John. Now, I've shared this with you before, but just as a Reminder, the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the Synoptic Gospels. 
The reason they're referred to that is because we see a lot of similarities between them. Many believe that that Mark uh, was the initial author of his gospel. Peter uh, was his source, his eyewitness source. And then Matthew and Luke, they use material from Mark to help write their gospel. And each of them have very different purposes for which they were writing. And then we come to John, which there are similarities between the gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke and John. But John was writing for a very different purpose. In fact, if you've been with us, you know I've shared with you, John says towards the end of his gospel, I've written these things to you so that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so he is going, like Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he's going to include the feeding of the 5,000. But what is very different than the Synoptic Gospels is the conversation that's going to come afterwards. And the reason is, is that I believe John is trying to accomplish his purpose of helping his readers, including you today, to see truly that Jesus is who he says he was. That he was revealing himself to be, as he's going to say here, the bread of life. And so today I want us just to consider the significance of what was happening here. The significance of Jesus referring to himself as the bread of life on the heels of this miracle. And as we work through chapter 6 today... We're going to see that only the bread of life meets your greatest need. Only the bread of life meets your greatest need. So let's jump into the miracle itself in verse 1 through verse 14 and the impact of the miracle. The impact of the miracle. Now, for time's sake, I'm going to summarize this for you today. But when we get to... uh, When we get to chapter 6, we find here in John's gospel that Jesus has crossed the Sea of Galilee and there is a large crowd that is following him, right? They're they're following him because they saw the signs that he was doing, performing, uh, uh, that he was performing by healing the sick. And it tells us here that it was around the time of Passover, which is important to us. And in John's account, he tells us in verse 5 that he comes to Philip and he says, hey, where will we buy bread so that these people can eat? And we know it's going to tell us later in the text that there's around 5,000 men. This isn't including the women and children. So you can imagine thousands more that are there. Uh, they are in this place because in the other Gospels, it tells us that Jesus saw this crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began, he went to them and he began to teach them many things. John doesn't give us all of that here. He just brings us to the point that he turns to Philip and says, hey, where are we going to get bread so we can feed these people. And I love what it tells us in verse 5 that he knew what he was going to do, but he was asking him because he was testing him. He was testing what Philip would say. A denarii, that was about um, a day's wage. And so Philip here recognizing that it would be 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. So you're looking at eight months salary for a person, right? So we see how significant the crowd is and how significant the need is. And in that place, we find Andrew who Oftentimes in the Gospels, we see Andrew as someone bringing people to Jesus. He's going to bring his own, his own brother, Peter, who says, I've found the Messiah, is going to bring him. And now in this moment, we see that he's going to bring this boy with five loaves and two fishes. Fishes, two fish, fishes, all right. And he is going to bring them. And we see this significant miracle that takes place, and it is summarized in only three words in verse 11. It says, then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks... He distributed them to those who were seated, 
so also with the fish as much as they wanted. I want you to think about that. Right? Here's this incredible miracle of thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people and five loaves and two fish. And all John gives us here is he distributed them. Man, don't you want to know what that must have been like? How did he do it? We don't know, but we know that he did. And, and it's a significant moment for us. We see that in, in verse 1 through 15, several things. Number one, if you're taking notes, you can write these down. Number one, a major disaster is averted, right? All, all these people are... Number two, a miraculous meal is provided, right? So we see he distributed them, right? Uh, next, a multitude of bellies are filled. Multitude of bellies are filled. Don't miss the end of verse 11, as much as they wanted. And then the beginning of verse 12, when they were full. It wasn't just enough to get by. He provided all that they needed and more. In fact, it tells us that they had to collect 12 baskets of leftovers. It was all that they wanted and more. There was a multitude of bellies that were filled. But the most important, and this is where we're going to spend our time today, was the last thing of the impact of this miracle. And it's that a Messiah-like prophet was recognized. Look at me in verse 14 and 15 here. When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this truly is the prophet who has come into the world. Now, don't miss this, that when they make this response after seeing Jesus feed thousands of people, they don't say, that this truly is a prophet. They say the prophet. Now, there were a lot of prophets throughout Old Testament history up to this point. There were revered prophets. But here they say the prophet. What are they referring to? Well, I believe they're thinking back to what Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, when he said, there is a prophet who will come after me. And you're to listen to him. You're to do what he says. And so when they make this statement, that this truly is the prophet who has come into the world, for us, it may not sound like much at first glance, but recognize that they understand, whoa, this is not just another rabbi. This man has the power not just to teach with authority. This man has the ability to do something unlike any other prophet. But we see that their understanding is, is misguided. And I think that is the impact of this miracle is that we're seeing Jesus, just like he did last week with healing of the man of the pool of Bethesda, that he's going to do this miracle. He's going to do, as John calls them, signs for his providential purpose. What he wants to be about, what he wants to accomplish. Because look at me in verse 15. Therefore, when they realized that they were about to come and take him by force, listen to what it says, to make him king, to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So here's all these people in their hunger. They see their bellies filled and they are thankful. Finally, the one has come. And the one that they were looking for was the one that was going to deliver them from their Roman oppression. It was going to allow Israel to be all that they believed Israel should be. And so we see that they were misguided in their understanding of Jesus. Now, again, what's John's purpose for this gospel? So that you would believe 
Not that Jesus is just a good man, not that he's a good teacher, not that he is a moral revolutionary, not that he is a political liberator. You would believe that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you would have life in his name. So the impact of this miracle is that it brings these people, and even us today, it brings us to a point of saying, okay, who is this man that can feed thousands with five loaves and two fish? And in his providential purpose, the impact of this miracle is it allows Jesus and John to point us back again to the true nature, the true identity of who this Jesus is. And so the impact of the miracle, but now I want us to see the significance of the meal. The significance of the meal. Have you ever had that moment in your life? I know I have. (laughs) Where you are going to eat somewhere that you really love to eat. And you're, I mean, you're hungry. You're, you're, you're ready to eat. And, and, and so you're excited, not just because you're hungry and you're about to get to eat, but you're hungry and you're about to get to eat at your favorite restaurant. And, and I don't know if you're like me, but there have been moments where I have walked into that place. For me, it is Khan's Mongolian Grill. I love it. And there have been times that I've walked into Khan's Mongolian Grill and I am hungry and I'm going to one of my favorite places to eat. And I walk in there and as I'm walking in, here's what I'm thinking. I am about to feel much worse when I'm walking out. (laughs) Are you with me? Can I get an amen? Good. Some of you are like, yeah, Michael, and if you would hurry this message up, I'm going to feel that way as soon as I eat lunch, right? (laughs) See, the reality is there is a food for the body, right? And sometimes we eat too much of that food and it makes us (laughs) feel worse than when we walked in. But what Jesus is going to show us here is there is a more important food, and that is food for the soul. That is food for the soul, and he is going to make it clear that he and he alone is the one who can truly satisfy the longing of your soul. If we pick up John's writing here in verse 22, we see where the dialogue is going to begin. And again, the gospel, other gospel writers, they're not going to include this. But John, to accomplish his purpose, does. And it tells us on the next day, they get up and Jesus is nowhere to be found. And they want to know where he's at. And they end up in Capernaum. In fact, in verse 59, it tells us that all of these things, this conversation took place in the synagogue of Capernaum. But they finally find Jesus. And I love they ask him, when did you get here? And Jesus gets right to the heart of the matter. Look with me in verse 26. It says, Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, you were looking for me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Jesus is saying, the only reason that you're here today is not because you see me as the Messiah, as the prophet, as the one to whom you should exhibit faith in your lives. You're here to have your belly filled again. Love one commentator said, instead of seeing in the bread, the loaves that were multiplied, instead of seeing in the bread the sign that is ultimately going to point to the identity of Jesus, They had seen in the sign only the bread. For them, it was only about the bread. We want more bread. And so Jesus continues in verse 27. Don't work for the food that perishes, 
But for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. So now Jesus is beginning to talk about himself. He's beginning to leverage the loaves, the bread, to speak of himself. And if you notice there in verse 27, he says, don't work for the food that perishes. And what we see is that those that are there, they, they hang on to this word work, and they ask in verse 28, what can we do to perform the works of God? In a sense, here's what they're saying. They, they hear Jesus saying, don't work for the food that will perish, but that which will last for eternal life. They hear works and say, okay, Jesus, what works does God want us to do? You tell us what works he wants us to do, and we'll do it. And notice the shift here. Their question in verse 28, if you write in your Bible, you can mark this. If you have one of the Bibles by your pew, you can mark this. Uh, <laughs> Notice in verse 28, what can we do to perform the works, plural? What things, what religious rituals would you have us be about or would God have us be about? And notice Jesus takes the plural to the singular. This is the work of God. This is God's primary concern, that you believe. Not just that you believe, but that you believe in the one he has sent. John says, I have written these things that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Why is John so passionate about you grasping this? Because Jesus was passionate about you grasping this. This is the work of God. Before you get concerned with all these religious rituals, what God's concerned about is faith. Not just an empty, charitable faith. Not just the faith of your mom and dad or your grandma and your grandpa. But a faith that is directed in the right direction. That you believe in the one he has sent. And now we see that they're really starting to think and they're really starting to consider in verse 30, what sign then are you going to do so that we may see and believe you? Do they not remember he just fed them with five loaves and two fish? Well, oh yeah, what are you going to do about it? And here we see where what they believed was holding them in some ways hostage. Right, these are... These are Jewish people who have grown up in their Jewish faith. They understand the importance of the Old Testament and the sacrificial system. And they look back to the Old Testament and they see with great reverence a prophet named Moses. And they understand that Moses spoke of another prophet that would come, but but they're also thinking about this prophet who would come and his ability to prove that he was the Messiah. In fact, many Jews... that when the Messiah came, he would be able to replicate the signs that Moses did, for instance, providing manna. And so it's in this vein that they say to Jesus, what are you going to perform? And they go back to Moses and the miracle, one of the miracles that Moses was a part of, of the provision of manna. He says, "Our verse 31, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness just as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. All right, now go with me here. What sign are you going to give us, prophet? You know, Moses, we think back, we had the manna that was provided 
from heaven. Look at Jesus' response here. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, saying don't miss this. Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven. But my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven, gives life to the world. And then they said, sir, give us this bread always. Here's what Jesus is doing. Don't miss this. He's leveraging this miracle to reveal something about himself. And here's what he's revealing to these people that are holding on so tightly to their religious past. He's number one saying, I am the greater Moses. Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven. He was there and he was facilitating it, but it didn't come from him. In fact, through chapter 6, the beginning of chapter 6 in this miracle, we are seeing this picture that John is painting for us as Jesus being the greater Moses. I mean, in this moment we see here in chapter 6, it tells us that a huge crowd was following him just like a nation was following Moses. It tells us here that they were following him because of the signs that he had performed just as Moses had been a part of the plagues that God had performed through Moses. It tells us here that he and his followers, that they go up onto a mountain, just like Moses and the people went up on the mountain. And if you look at verse 4, it's significant the time this takes place. It says, now about the what? Passover. So he's giving hints along the way. Give you them. And notice here that he's saying in the past tense, Right? It didn't happen. And now we see him coming to the present tense when he says what? But my father, verse 32, but my father gives, present tense happening right now in the moment, my father gives you the true bread from heaven. So he's showing himself. He's saying, I am the greater Moses. Yes, Moses came and provided signs. And yes, Moses helped deliver you from your Egyptian oppressors. But Jesus is revealing, I'm the greater Moses who has come to deliver you from your greatest need, and that is your sin. I am coming to do for you what Moses could never do for himself. Jesus is the greater Moses, but not only that, Jesus is the greater manna. He's the greater manna. If you don't remember, in the Old Testament, God's people were in the wilderness because they didn't trust God and walked by faith into the promised land. So for 40 years, they're in the wilderness. And as they're there, they're hungry, and God provides for them in this This bread-like substance, literally meaning, what is it? That every morning it would show up and they were told to collect just enough for today. Don't collect for tomorrow. God will provide it tomorrow. And then on the sixth day, you were to collect twice as much because on the seventh day, you'll rest on the Sabbath and you'll enjoy the manna that God provides. And so every day, God... Here I am. Did that just happen? Y'all could have told me. All right. I'm sorry, Balcony. You got to see my face again. All right. So day by day, God is providing this manna. He's meeting their need day by day by day. And here's what Jesus says. My father gives you what? The true bread from heaven. Verse 33, for the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to this world. 
He's the greater Moses, meaning he can deliver you from your greatest need, which is sin. Right? Jesus was clear that he had been sent by the Father to come and to be a ransom for many. Even at his birth announcement, that he was coming to be the Savior of the world, to save the world from their sin. Jesus is the greater Moses. He can deliver you today from your sin and from your rebellion against a holy, perfect God. But he's also the greater manna. Here's what that means. That manna could only satisfy for a day. And if they tried to hold on it for too long, it what? It rotted. It went bad. And for some of you today, you have found yourself in a place in life where you have pursued the manna of this world. You've pursued the created things of this world to to satisfy you, to meet the deepest needs of your heart and your life. You have tried to find it in, if you could just find the one, if you could just find the perfect spouse, the perfect partner, the perfect boyfriend or girlfriend, then I would have value and meaning and purpose and happiness in my life. If my salary could just get to this number, then finally... Finally, life would be easy and comfortable and full of joy. Man, if I could just hold this position at the workplace. Man, if I could just shoot this size deer or catch this size fish, right? There are things of this world that we have pursued, hoping and believing that they will satisfy. And what Jesus is showing here, that just as the manna only suffice for a day, The things of this world will not suffice for eternity. And they will not suffice for the true satisfaction of your soul. Let's wrap up with this. We've seen the significance of the meal. Let's talk about the heartbeat of the message. Verse 35. I am the bread of life. This is Jesus to his followers (laughs) Let me me make this crystal, crystal clear for you. If you don't understand what I'm saying and who I am and that I am the greater Moses, that I can deliver you, that I am the greater manna, that I can satisfy you, he comes right out and says it. I am the bread of life. Why is this significant? It's significant because of the I am statement. Just as we've sang this morning about the great I am. Going back to Moses Moses, they're making excuses about why he shouldn't be the one to lead. And he says, what am I going to tell them when I show up? Who sent me? And God said, you tell them I am has sent you. And so for Jesus to say, I am the bread of life, this is a, a claim of divinity that he is making. I am the bread of life. And no one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who ever believes in me will ever be thirsty again. This is a double negative that he's giving here. And it's very similar to what we see in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well, right? Remember, he talks about the living water. And she says, sir, would you give me some of this water to drink? And they respond the same way in this synagogue in Capernaum. Sir, would you give us some of this bread? He says, you can have this bread. And with this bread, you will never hunger again. You will never thirst again. Does that mean that when we become a believer in Christ, we surrender our life in repentance and faith to him? Does that mean that we never have a hard day again? Absolutely not. We still live in a broken world with broken people and the struggles of life still exist. But there is an an inner change in who we are that the old is past and all things have become new. 
We recognize that no matter what our past has has looked like, we are now a child of God. We are part of his family. We are reconciled to him with the promise of heaven one day. In fact, the significance that you see here, for time's sake, I'm not going to walk through all of them, but I believe it's four different times in the rest of chapter 6 that he's going to refer to raising you up on the last day. The one who comes to him trusting that he is the bread of life, that, that it is that one that he will raise up on the last day. Jesus is revealing about himself in his ways, in this miracle, but also in his words. Look with me in verse 47 through 51. Truly I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. He says it again here. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and what? They died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. I want to give you one more verse, verse 58. This is the bread that came down from heaven. It is not like the manna your ancestors ate and they died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. There is a clear call here from Jesus, not just that he is the greater Moses, not just that he is the greater manna, but that he and he alone can satisfy your soul and save you for all eternity. I am the bread of life. He and he alone is the one who can do it. The question is, will you receive it? The question is, will you come to him believing that he can deliver you from your sin, that he can satisfy your soul like nothing else can? I want you to imagine that this afternoon and my wife's appreciation for me saying that her banana pudding is the greatest of all time, champion of the world, undefeated, right, just amazing. She said, you know what, I'm going to make him some banana pudding tonight. I hope you will, honey. Uh, I'm just kidding. We got a busy day today. We got a busy day today. But imagine if I'm in the living room hanging out from the kitchen. I hear her say, hey, Michael, I made you some banana pudding. I said, okay. And I sit there and thought about how great that banana pudding was. I thought about how good it would be for me to probably get up and eat that banana pudding. What about what that banana pudding? Some of y'all are like, I'm going somewhere to get banana pudding for lunch today, right? But I just, all I did was sit there and think and consider it. But I never got up and went to get some. Listen, thinking about banana pudding doesn't nourish me. It doesn't satisfy me like eating banana pudding. And in the same way, for some of you, you need to recognize today thinking about the person of Jesus, considering the person of Jesus. It doesn't satisfy your soul and save you for eternal life just by thinking about it. At some point, you've got to come to it. At some point, you have to decide that he is not just the bread of life, but that he is the bread of life for me. And I believe today that there's someone more than someone. There are some here today that like that manna that went bad at the end of the day, what you have found is that the 
trajectory of your life, the pursuits and the passions of your life, they've gone bad at the end of the day. And today you hear that sweet, firm voice in your soul that says, you'll never hunger or thirst again. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, We hope, again, that you were uh, encouraged by what God had to say for you and for your life. I just want to extend an invitation for you today. Maybe today you realize that you need Jesus in your life. Maybe today you just need to take that next step in your spiritual walk, or maybe you've got a spiritual need. And I want you to know that we would love to come alongside you and serve you any way that we can. Feel free to reach out to us at firstwest.cc, or you can call the church, 318-322-5104. And we would love to help you in what God is doing in your life. Have a great day.